0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa, where we talk about women and lots of wine. And today, we have a very special ghost, I mean, (laughs) guest, who actually, ghost isn't far from the wrong term either.
1: (laughs) I'm over here now wondering if that was a Freudian slip or completely intentional.
0: Um, let's, let's welcome CJ back to the podcast. I'm back and I'm happy to be here. We are happy to have her back and we're very excited that you guys get to be back with the original crew. Woohoo! We've had some awesome guests fill in over the last couple of episodes and there will continue to be more guests in the future but CJ will start to be one of them. So yes. she'll be popping in and out sporadically over the future of the podcast. Um so she's not a full-blown ghost, not like La Planchada. Oh my god. <laughs> From our spooky episode. Um but yeah, she's back. So we're going to fucking kick ass on episode 37 and we have a lot to catch up on. Yeah. Do you want to kick it off?
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like I want to open with the fact that my mother found our podcast. (laughs) I have no idea because I absolutely, I'm almost positive that I would have never shared that information with her, even if she requested (laughs) it. So I don't, I don't know how she got it, but she told me about it casually. She didn't even reach out after she listened to it. It just came up once on a phone call. She's like, oh yeah, yeah, I found your podcast. The the bottomless mimosa, I was the sister head of the bottomless mimosa, yeah yeah yeah. What did you think? Well, I don't really remember. You and Melissa sound exactly the same. <laughs> I was like, Mom, I'm your daughter. You don't know what my voice sounds like. I'm like I don't know. You guys just sounded exactly the same to me. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, what episode did you listen to? And she's like, I don't remember. And I was like, okay, so what women did we talk about? And she's like, I don't know if I got that far. I think you guys were just, like, giving updates on the bar. And then I stopped listening. Okay. Thanks,
0: Mom. The end. Well, if my mom ever did listen to our podcast, she wouldn't even do me the solid by telling me. You don't think so? Hell no. (laughs)
1: What if she's listening right now? She definitely is not. What up, mom? (laughs) Holler. Oh, my God. I just love that my mom, A, doesn't know my voice. And B, I didn't look. And B, that she didn't even have the motherly love to actually listen to a full episode. She's like, I don't want to listen to this. Yeah, she, I mean, maybe that's for the best. I don't know. Yeah, it probably is. And she, and maybe that's why. I think she probably had a
0: feeling like, I don't actually want to listen to this. Never mind. <laughs> I changed my mind. That's hilarious, though, that she would, like, sit mention that she just stumbled upon the podcast. Like, first of all, no. <laughs> Not that, like... It's I very wish. rare that she would have just stumbled upon it.
1: Yeah, I wish that
0: she stumbled upon it.
1: But I was like, I don't even think my mom knew she had a podcast app on her phone. So I, she absolutely sought it out. And I'm, I my guess is maybe my brother's girlfriend hooked her up with it or whatever. Like, some family member. I mm. don't know.
0: That's but hilarious. mom, if you're
1: listening, you're not listening. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was really funny. Otherwise... You know, updates. I'm back in New Orleans. I came back here last I was on the show. I was in Denver still. So I came back to New Orleans in October. But most importantly, last weekend I caught 11 inches off my hair, which I don't know if the listeners know what I look like, but you may have seen pictures of me on the Instagram. And that was extremely significant for me. And I feel like I have a whole new life now. And I thought about Madam C.J. Walker when I did it. Because girl, the power of changing your hair is That's not a fucking game. Right. Welcome, or welcome back, me. I meant to say I'm happy <laughs> to be back. Welcome back, me. <laughs> Thanks, guys.
0: <laughs> any any updates on your end that we should know? I have I have some updates. Um, so the most relevant thing that has come up over the last month was my trip to Utah, in which. I went to Utah so that I could go ski and I haven't skied since I was a kid. And the reason why I skied is because last year I tried snowboarding and it was a fucking disaster. Like the worst experience ever. So I was like, well, at least I've skied as a kid. So hopefully it will come back to me and it won't be as miserable as snowboarding. And that was true um, to an extent, but long story short, I went to a ski class because I figured that was a good idea. It was to, like, have legitimate lessons from a real instructor. It went swimmingly. I kicked ass in the fucking lessons. I was, like, super good on the bunny slopes, like, flying down with confidence. Everything was awesome. And so I was, like, on fucking cloud nine, and I came back to the group, and I was like, oh, my God, I kick ass at skiing. Everything's (laughs) great. So then my boyfriend and our friends were like, Oh, perfect. Then let's like go all the way to the absolute highest point of the mountain and ski down from there. And I was like, Hmm, well, I don't know what that looks like, but I would imagine that for them to understand, I skied for the first time today in 15 years and was able to accomplish a bunny slope. If that leads them to believe that I would be able to go down this slope from the top of the mountain, why would they lead me astray? Yeah. Right? So I did it. And it was like similar to being catapulted off a cliff. <laughs> um, it took two hours to get down. There were moments of crying hysterically, cussing people out, um, also moments of smiling and feeling good about myself. Okay. But it was a full blown emotional roller coaster for two hours straight. Um, i did survive but i literally did an intermediate slope which ended with an expert slope (gasps) um which was an accident we didn't realize that we took the expert end of the trail um so at the very end of the two hour experience i had to get down something that literally was vertical on two skis oh my god no (laughs) Like, you're lucky you didn't get hurt. I know. Um, It was extremely draining, but I did it. And I don't know how I did it, but I'm pretty happy that I did it. And then, of course, there was a snowstorm on our way home. Mm -mm. And we drove through five and a half hours of blizzard. To which, like, we could not see more than maybe, like, 15 feet in front of the car and the windshield wiper liquid froze in the vehicle so we couldn't even use our windshield wipers with it snowing because it turned into like what you would imagine like white paint basically being thrown on glass oh my god um it was the most terrifying five and a half hours of my life like, I was crying at multiple times, thinking that we were going to die. And then once we finally got out of Utah and we hit Nevada, it was pure wind-blasting storms all the way until we got home into oh our God. neighborhood. So, I don't know that I'm much of a cross-state, cross, cross state, uh, you know, car person. Uh-huh. It was a, a real struggle for me.
1: Like, thank God for cars. Can you imagine doing that in a covered wagon? We're <laughs> like, on horseback?
0: fuck you would die
1: right sorry Greta Thirnberg I'm really sorry but like I am not going that way
0: I literally think you would just die yeah
1: you wouldn't be able to do it Donner party
0: so yeah that was our that was our trip also
1: I am so impressed that you even tried skiing because I refuse to ever ski Really? Like, I won't do like it. Any I, snow
0: sport or just ski in particular?
1: I would maybe try snowboarding, but honestly, I'm pretty cool on the snow to begin with. And skiing in particular, the way I think about it, I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna strap two planks of wood to my feet, and then I'm just gonna fall down a hill covered in ice. I'm good. And, like, that hill is full of trees that I could just rock it into and bash my brains on. No.
0: So, yes, what you just described is accurate. However, it's a million times more terrifying when you have both feet on one piece of wood. No. Like, the snowboarding for yeah. me is you, you have, like, less control. Okay. I You're don't like need to onto either. a plank.
1: Yeah. Well, the <laughs> other thing with skiing, too, is when you watch the Olympics – There is always some killer wipeout that happens in the downhill ski, and it's enough for me to never want to do it. And then you hear about all these celebrities, like, there are multiple celebrities who have died that way. Yeah, I know. So I'm just like, I'm good. So I am legitimately grateful that you (laughs) came out of that completely unscathed.
0: Well, also, I think I only fell down about three times in two hours. But it's because I went inch by inch down a mountain. It ended up being a three-mile route.
1: And it took two and a half hours. Correct. That is three miles down is a long... Right? That's long. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It
0: never fucking ended. And then my boyfriend said, of course, he had thought that, like, this was going to be, like, cake for some reason. Um, and then when I was like one eighth down is when he admitted that he finally realized this was the worst mistake that could have ever happened. <laughs> but then he knew we still had like two and a half miles to go. So we just kept basically being like, we're almost there. We're almost there. <laughs> and in his head, he's like, we have a galaxy to travel. Dude, you have no idea.
1: The one time I took my mom on a hike, I did the exact same thing. (laughs) I was straight up just lying to her face. I was like, nope, (laughs) it's right. I can see the top from here. (laughs) There it is. Oh, nope, that's a tree. We're almost there. Yeah, you got to do it.
0: So. If I were you, I would have just rolled down. At one point I asked. I was like, can I take my (laughs) skis off and roll? Yeah. He said no. So. That's or sad. just couldn't you like stick the skis together
1: and sit on them and go down that way, <laughs> dude? I can't even skateboard. That I mean, literally can't even stand on a skateboard.
0: They're all hard. Action no, sports are difficult. Not doing it. Uh-uh. No. So the first time I got catapulted down a mountain on a mountain bike. Now I've been catapulted down a mountain on skis. So I've learned two lessons. And there will not be a third. Mountain biking sounds fun, though. No, I hated every second of it. Okay, cried the whole way down.
1: Is this something you also <laughs> did with yeah. your boyfriend? Yes. I mean, you're fucking game. I respect that. But don't get killed.
0: Is this a place? Is he trying
1: to murder you? He might be.
0: Fucking outdoor sports are hard, dude. Yeah. Like I don't know. I, I you know, I run on a treadmill sometimes and do, like, yoga in a park and spin on a bike. Mm-hmm. This fucking catapulting down mountains Mm-mm. thing is, is a little rough for me. But yeah. I have to say I'm somewhat proud that I have conquered both of them with zero injuries. Yeah. So at least I can't say I didn't try. Well, I have, I have a booze review. Oh, yeah. Please. Which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. Because She's been
1: keeping it secret this entire time we've been on the on the podcast together, and I don't know why.
0: It's because of the label. You can't see the label until it's time. Okay. Um, but I'm not drinking wine today, because I woke up a little bit hungover from drinking half a bottle of wine last night, and then sake. Mmm. Um, it was a little bit too much. So I couldn't fathom the thought of drinking more white wine today. I was like, ooh, I gotta switch it up. So... I was like, I want to drink beer, but I don't want, like, a regular beer. So I hit up the BevMo, which let me tell you, I am not a regular BevMo, like, customer. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, like, have maybe been there once or twice in my life, but I went today, and I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. For every recording. Like, the fact that I haven't been seeking all my wine, booze, liquor at BevMo. Yeah. They have the fucking 10 billion thousand bottles, Mm -hmm. the cutest wines, the cutest beers, and they let you buy shit for a fucking penny or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like typical me, I went for the label. Mm -hmm. And when I saw this label, I dropped dead and I got it. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to show it to you and see if you recognize it, or what you think. Okay. Uh, Is it a
1: nose matador? It's Freddie Mercury. Oh, but why is he a nose? (laughs) He just has a
0: nose. (laughs) He looks like a nose. (laughs) What's it called? The beer is called Freddie Mercury. Mercury. Uh, It's a New England-style Imperial IPA, and I've never heard of this brewery, but it's from San Diego, and it's the McKellar Brewery. Mm -hmm. I don't know where they're at in San Diego, never even heard of them, never seen any of their beers before, but when I was walking down the aisle, I saw this, and I knew immediately that it was Freddie Mercury, (laughs) and I was like...
1: (laughs) I would not have get like at all. Really?
0: No. I mean, yeah. now that
1: you say it, I'm like, oh yeah, I get it. You can't see Freddie. And I mean, now that you say it, I can see it. But it looks like a matador to me because well, of the that's jacket. That's what Freddie
0: Mercury looks like. I
1: didn't. I never thought of him that way. And it, <laughs> he looks like a nose. Like you guys have to look at this beer label. Well, I'm gonna,
0: I'm gonna actually post a picture of it on the gram because I'm t- too obsessed. Okay, please ask the audience if they think his face looks like a gigantic nose. <laughs> I mean, it does. It does. Which is strange because Freddie Mercury was known for his teeth, not his nose. Exactly. So I don't know why they made such a big nose on him. Honestly, (laughs) Melissa, who
1: knows?
0: (laughs) Okay, but the other exciting thing to point, this beer is not your typical beer. It is, from what I can remember... I'm pretty sure it's a triple IPA. What's that mean? I am not the most familiar with beer knowledge, even though I worked in a brewery for five years. (laughs) But I think, like, because there's there's regular IPAs, there's doubles, there's triples. I think, like, the higher up you go, the the higher the alcohol percentage is. But I Mm. think that it means, which I could be completely wrong, so if I'm wrong, somebody correct me. But I think that it means that you brew it like not once but twice but three times or something like that does the label have the percentage on it yes so this is 16 ounces and it is 9.2 where like a bud light is like four yeah so this is i mean i'm gonna drink one and probably be buzzed sick i know i'm pretty stoked awesome and it's like the cutest can i think it is really cute so i'm very excited about it yay freddie mercury
1: I am, I am taking a break from drinking, which was something that started about a year ago, but now, since I've been back, which was the beginning of October, I've only gotten drunk three times, which for me is not very much. I drank on Thanksgiving and New Year's, and like a couple weeks ago when I went to a show.
0: And what do you
1: think? Uh, well, it? it's been, so like, I did not drink on Halloween, even though I went out. And that was really hard because I did take shrimps though. But that was really hard because everybody, I was going to a party with an open bar and everybody was drinking. And I was like, what if I just, like, no, I said I wasn't going to do it. I don't want to give in. Wait, it's, so question
0: mm-hmm. is it, is your non drinking because you are choosing to not drink or you're just naturally less interested? I think it's the latter. So there, uh, There were also
1: just, like, a couple drunk experiences I had in Denver where I was like, you need to slow down, girl. And when I left the Denver airport on October 7th, I ordered a glass of actual champagne, like a $22 glass of champagne. As my last – like, I was like, this is my last hoorah. And the second it hit my taste buds, my body was like, I don't want this. Why are you giving us this? And I was like, okay, well, you have to drink it because it was $22. $22. (laughs) So shut up for right now. But noted. Um, So it's just – I think it's kind of like when I stopped eating meat, how one day I just took a bite of meat and I was like, this is gross and I'm over it now.
0: Yeah.
1: It's kind of like that. So there's – the temptation is not there. Um, But it's only really hard – You know, like, alcohol is a social lubricant, as they say. So that can be hard, especially if the people around me are drinking. It's easier when they're sober, but.
0: You want to know something funny? Hmm. So a couple months ago, my mom, shout out to my mom if she's listening. Hey, girl. Uh, She told me that she was attempting one of those, like, no alcohol months or whatever they call it I don't know what it was it wasn't January it was like some other month Mm -hmm. and she had like heard about people doing it wanted to try it out and then she came across some book which I can't recall what the book was called but it basically was just like telling you how to like refrain from drinking alcohol in a society that drinks alcohol yeah and she did it she admitted that she went through like a pretty severe detox uh, experience from the no month Mm -hmm. Like, in, like, a couple of weeks, I think. And she was, like, experiencing, like, headaches and, like, the typical detoxing part of it. And then she said she felt fucking incredible. But the one thing that she did mention was that the hardest part about it wasn't refraining from liquor, wasn't, like, you know, any type of detox trauma she was experiencing. There was no hardship other than the fact that the minute that she told anybody that she was not drinking they were pressuring her to drink yeah Mm-hmm. And it was, she said, it was the strangest thing she'd ever really noticed. Mm-hmm. That like it almost bothered people. Yes. When she wasn't drinking, because I think it made them reflect on themselves. Yeah. In a way where they kind of started to be like, well, why not? You can have one margarita. Yeah. What's wrong with just one glass of wine?
1: I remember my our senior year of college when I got really sick because I went too hard at a World Series game, and then I had to take like five months off of drinking. And and the day that I started drinking was when you and I went on that camping trip <laughs>
0: <laughs> with the turkeys.
1: <laughs> so when I, so. That was So the World Series is obviously in October. So over the holidays, I wasn't drinking, and my family likes to drink. And they were all like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry you're not drinking right now. Like, I feel so bad for you. (laughs) Meanwhile, like, they're, like, sloshing their drinks around and slurring their words. And I'm like, I'm good. Are you okay? (laughs) Like, don't worry about me. I am not missing this. It's really – yeah, it makes people very – I think it makes people feel judged even when that's not what you're doing and it has nothing to do with them. It's very interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that is interesting. So you guys, if, you ha- if you're drinking every day, maybe take a break for a week and just see how you feel. That was the most real uh, alcohol wine review we've ever had. <laughs>
1: You know what this reminds me of? Do you remember when that song by your BFF Pink was out, Sober? Yeah. And people would sing that at karaoke at the bar all the time. And I was like, can you not? Like, <laughs> I don't want to think about this right now. Oh, hilarious. Uh, anyway, okay. so I'm not drinking tonight, then. Fucking Wine get your you best done. life, dude. But just so you know, I'm not judging you. Great. And I'm not judging you back.
0: we'll, we'll, we Hey, should we get into it?
1: Yeah, 45 minutes in, per usual. You want to go first? Yes,
0: I would love to go first. So, real quick, can I grab another beer? Yeah. All right, one second. All right, we're (sighs) ready. Testing. Wait, are you still smoking weed? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay.
1: But you know what? (laughs) (laughs) I, like, I forever have thought about needing to change that. But also, like, I straight up just have anxiety, and I'm like, what am I – I don't – like, I'd rather smoke weed than beyond pharmaceuticals, Mm -hmm. and I don't know what to do with that. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. So if
1: anybody listening has non-drug or alcohol (laughs) (laughs) cures for anxiety, please hit us up. So today I'm covering a woman who has a very long life. She's still alive. A very long career – I'm going to try to keep it under 20 minutes because I want to highlight certain areas of her life. And I think we can all be super excited about her because she is one person that this entire fucking country can agree is absolutely delightful. Whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're Christian, whether you're atheist, whether you're conservative, whether you're liberal, you know you love Dolly fucking Parton. ha <laughs> ha.
0: What up? I'm very excited that you're covering her. I have been tempted to cover her many times. Mm-hmm. So have I, I. I haven't for specific reasons. Okay.
1: Well, can we talk about them? <laughs> yeah, later.
0: So okay. I just want to hear. Yeah, I want you to fucking take the reins on Dolly. Great.
1: I'm going to do that.
0: We'll feel it out.
1: Not going to go, like, in chronological order. Just, I made little chapters in my notes, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go chapter by chapter. So... So the reason I chose to cover her was because, as I mentioned before, I'm back in the Matrix. I'm back working a nine-to-five job. And I started listening to her song, Nine to Five, as I would get ready in the morning. Do you know that song?
0: I don't know that song. Oh,
1: you should listen to it.
0: Working
1: nine-to-five, what a way to make a living. You should also watch the movie, but we'll talk (laughs) about that later. And so I've just kind of been on a Dolly Parton kick. But when I started researching her, it turns out that she's kind of having a cultural renaissance and yeah, like she's hot she shit a podcast? right
0: now. I think she's a documentary. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. So she podcast Dolly Parton's America, which I have not listened to yet, but I swear to God, I'm going to listen to it tonight. And then there's a Netflix series called Dolly Parton's Heartstrings, which mm-hmm. is, I probably won't watch, but they're basically these little episodes, like fictional episodes based on some of her songs.
0: And, yeah, I think each episode is a name of a different song, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's, like, her, one called Jolene.
1: And, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. I
0: heard her on Ryan Seacrest, Kiss FM. Mm -hmm. and they brought her on and they were talking to her and as you just already mentioned she was the most charming most lovable yes freaking two minutes on the radio delightful ever and she was just yo you know that one time i was at my show and i met a cute little girl named jolene Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she just went into this whole story and i'm just like i love you you're the best she's just lovable Mm
1: -hmm. you can't not love her Um, let me tell you some things you may or may not know about this rhinestone goddess. So, (laughs) and there are going to be a couple of my common themes popping up, starting with Dolly Parton was born in 1946, we do know her birthday, in a one-room cabin in Pittman Center on the banks of the Little Pigeon River in the Great Smoky Mountains in eastern Tennessee. She was her mother's fourth child. Guess how many children her mom had? Twelve. Twelve children. I don't know if you knew that or if you were just guessing. I just guessed. Twelve children by the time she was 35.
0: Wow.
1: No. So as you can imagine, her parents were extremely poor, And I do believe that they were both illiterate. I know at least her dad was. So very, very, very poor. Very, very rough. Not rough, but just the country, country upbringing. Supposedly, according to Dolly Parton, they paid the doctor. Her parents paid the doctor who delivered her in cornmeal because they were so poor they couldn't pay him money.
0: Could you imagine doing that today?
1: No. Although, that would be kind of cool. Um... Dolly has also said, quote, we had running water if you were willing to run and get it. So this is going to be one of several what have come to be known as Dolly-isms because she is just known for saying the darndest things. And those are going to be peppered throughout this whole thing. So Dolly grew up playing music and singing. And Dolly is a go-getter. A go-getter, an artist, and a businesswoman. And I think she was, as soon as she was born, she was playing radio shows by the time she was 10. Keep in mind that she lives in the country. It's not like she grew up in an urban area. In the 50s, you know? Played the Grand Ole Opry, which is like the country venue that everybody who is anybody played at by the time she was 13 years old and was introduced on stage by none other than Johnny Cash. 13. And the day after she graduated high school, she left for Nashville. So she was like, I'm out. Bye. I'm going to go get this life. Her big breakthrough was, okay, let me stop. Have you seen the Drunk History episode about her? No. Okay. So this is, I took all of this information that I'm about to tell you from that episode. I didn't fact check it because I want it to be true. And I'm just hoping that they did their due diligence and making sure that it was true. Um, and also, side note, I am in love with Derek Waters, so if he ever listens to this and he happens to be single, boom boom, pow, boom, boom, pow, I just think he's so adorable, and I probably mentioned this in previous episodes anyway, So her big break was through a man named Porter Wagner, and he had he was in a duo with someone named Norma Jean, I think Norma Jane can't really read my own writing. And Dolly Parton ended up replacing her, and they worked together for six years. At the beginning of her career, people would literally boo her when she would walk on stage because they were so used to Norma Jean, but she stuck with it, and they made their way. She wants a solo career after being with him for several years because she didn't really have any artistic control, and like her being Dolly Parton, she probably knew that she was the cooler member of the duo, and she wanted to do her own thing. So as she starts building out her solo career, he, being the little baby back bitch that he is, starts, like, slamming her in the press. Like, just talking shit about his own partner in the press because he's getting threatened by her. And then she releases the song Jolene, which was really her big breakout solo hit. And also, this is where she comes out as a savvy businesswoman. She knew so early on to bridge the gap between country and pop. She was like, if I'm going to make it out here, I got to make this a little poppier. And Jolene was her first song where she really did that. And so she wants to leave. Once Jolene is out and that catches on, she's like, all right, it's time to break ways with him. And so she writes the song that some might consider the best love song of all time, which is I Will Always Love You. Mm -hmm. And she sang it to him and performed it for him in his office And he was so touched that he was like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Of course, you can go. So then she leaves. Her career takes off. And then he decides to sue her. (laughs) Because he's a little baby back bitch. She's like, hey, let's just settle out of court. This is ridiculous. And he's like, no, I want a million dollars. She's doing great. She's raking in the cash. His ass is in debt because he sucks. And he's making terrible decisions. And Dolly Parton, while he's in debt, I think $500,000 he owed the IRS, she buys his entire wow. song collection off of him for millions of dollars. This dude who sued her wow. after saying that he wouldn't, she gives him millions of dollars for his song collection so that he can get out of debt. And then once he gets back on his feet, he tries to buy the collection back from her, and she sends him a fax that says, you can have it all back for free. Love you, Dolly. <gasps>
0: Oh. She straight up
1: saved that dude. Yeah. Yes. And then, according to this episode of Drunk History, when he passed away, when Porter Wagner passed away in 2007, she goes to see him at his deathbed and performs I Will Always Love You Aww. to him at his deathbed. Aww. So this so this is an important story, not just because it's kind of like the beginning of her career, but it's also a testament to what an amazing and generous human being Dolly Parton is. Yeah. Like, damn, that guy did her so dirty. I mean, she's for sure not a Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> or a Scorpio. Sorry, give that away. <laughs> definitely not. Um, But you should definitely, you can watch that. It's like a six-minute clip on YouTube. Highly recommend it. And, and for anyone listening, if you don't know this, I Will Always Love You, yes, that is the Whitney Houston song that you may think was performed for the first time by Whitney Houston. That is actually a Dolly Parton song, which Ringo. some of the younger kids may not know. So. <sighs> but also, so,
0: like, praise Whitney. Um, Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> never going to take anything away from Whitney Houston. I know. Never. Um, and she like made it I think it's a testament to how amazing Whitney Houston is that she got a whole new life out of that song. Yeah, she did. You know? Bless them both. So that's how that is her Rags to Rhinestone story. Chapter two is all about her genius and Dolly Parton, to be clear, is an artistic genius. You know, like, for all, again, like, she has this reputation, I think, if you don't know her music, of just being big busted and dressing in these really outrageous, almost drag queen-esque ways, but she is an artistic genius and has written some of the best songs ever, including I Will Always Love You. Jolene is one that people know very well. Nine to Five is one that a lot of people know, but not everybody, and you should listen believe to I it. I
0: know that
1: one. You're going to love it. Um, but as I mentioned before, she was also a savvy businesswoman. She understood the need to make that bridge between country and pop, and she started branching out into Hollywood. So the film 9 to 5 is what the song was written for, mm-hmm. and that movie is a feminist tour de force, and y'all need to ro- watch it. It stars her, Lily Tomlin, and Jane motherfucking Fonda, yeah. and it's basically about these three women working at an office together and throwing like a coup over their male bosses who won't give them promotions nice definitely check it out
0: like nothing's changed since then
1: <laughs> well and also like what an interesting movie for her to make given her experience with that baby back bitch. yeah, for real. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was her kind of like i think breakout hollywood role she also had roles in the best little whorehouse in texas and steel magnolias there were a bunch of others as well also side note She co-owned a production company called Sand Dollar Productions, which produced the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No way. Yes, and that was, like, my favorite show growing up. So (laughs) random. So weird. Quick overview of her awards. I found two different numbers here, and I was too lazy to fact-check either of them. She's been nominated for, I think, 49 Grammy Awards, although I said I I read somewhere forty-six. She's won nine Grammys. She's been nominated for two Oscars. She was nominated for a Tony. She was nominated for an Emmy. She's been nominated for several Golden Globes, both for acting and for songwriting. And she's basically in every music hall of fame ever. Any music hall of fame that touches on country, she's in it. But I think what I love most about her is her mystique. And I think this is why she's having a cultural renaissance. This woman, this is what my notes say, this is what I posted on the Instagram, who I think may be from the planet Glitterati, is a walking contradiction because she is, the way that she is, she is loved by both, like, extremely queer, weird, freak show people, not that, like, I don't mean freak show in a bad way, Um, and, like, conservative Christians from the South. And when asked how she pulls off both fan bases, she said, quote, it's two different worlds, and I live in both, and I love them both, and I understand and accept both. And I think that's why she's having this moment, is because, like, what else in this country (laughs) is as acceptable by every political leaning as
0: Dolly Parton?
1: Like, I don't know. Like, I
0: can't think of one thing. Dolly
1: Parton. Like, Dolly Parton is the glue that holds this country together. (laughs) Like, not to put too fine a point on it. Um, she also – so my understanding of Dolly Parton, based on what I read, is that she is deliberately mysterious. So she kind of – it's kind of, like, never clear how true some of the stuff she says is. And how much of it is her kind of controlling her own narrative and creating this avatar that is Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. And one of our sisters from the sisterhood, Jane Fonda, was quoted as saying, Very often someone will wow you, but as you get to know them, the mystery wears off. One of the things that just flabbergasts me about Dolly is the amount of mystery she has.
0: Interesting. And
1: when I read this New York Times article about her recent boom apparently there's like this whole underground culture that believes that her arms are covered in tattoos because she hasn't shown her arms in public in decades. And if you look at every picture of Dolly Parton, she has long sleeves on. And so this whole rumor mill has sprung up that she's like prison tatted up all up her arms. And she denied there was some article where somebody asked her point blank like is your are your arms covered in snake tattoos and she was like no they're not and then people were like well all that really means is that they're not snake tattoos but they are tattoos of something and there is a contingent of people who really believe that she's secretly rocking
0: how this like hell's
1: angel look
0: that is hilarious but if you think about it like why hasn't
1: she shown her arms even once with, like, those titties, like, you're not going to wear one, stra- like, one spaghetti strap ball gown? Who knows? Uh, who though? knows? What does it mean? Um, she also has been notoriously silent about her politics. And there was a awards show, so the 2017 Emmys, her, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda as the stars of 9 to 5 presented an award. And Lily and Jane, who are obviously very public about their politics, talked some shit about Trump. And you could tell that Dolly did not know that they were going to say these things. And she gets a little bit flustered and then immediately starts making jokes about her tits. (gasps) Yeah. So she was like, "Uh uh-huh, no. So we're just going to talk about these babies. Oh, Um, my God. Which is, I'm not going to talk about her boobies very much, just because I feel like they've been talked about ad nauseum. But- Side note, yes, she's always been super honest about the fact that she has plastic surgery, which I think also was not acceptable at the time Mm -hmm. for people to be so open about that. But she's been quoted as saying, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap.
0: Oh my God.
1: And speaking to her contradictions, she has said that her look was inspired by, and I'm not kidding, Bible stories and prostitutes. Quote, I was impressed by what they called the trash in my hometown. I don't know how trashy these women were, but they were said to be trashy because they had blonde hair and wore nail polish and tight clothes. I thought they were beautiful.
0: Oh, so like what?
1: What an interesting person. Also, I think you probably know this by now and some children might know this, but she is Miley Cyrus's godmother. Yes. Yes. And also, like. And some I'm... children. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what people know. And yeah. also, like, I kind of love Miley Cyrus. Sorry, I guys. I love Miley Cyrus. Like, I just do. I just think mm-hmm. she's delightful. And she's also a great singer and has done an amazing cover of Dolly Parton's Show Lane. Have you seen that?
0: Yes. Yeah. It's I've it's... only hated her briefly when she was married to Liam because he's my future husband. But once they broke up, all was right in the world again. Didn't they get back together? Where no, they, they literally just broke up again like forever like they got married and now they're getting divorced
1: okay (laughs) well swoop in girl I know now's your time um okay and then I'm keeping it under 20 and the last thing that I want to touch on quickly about Dolly Parton is her generosity of spirit so (sighs) Dollywood is something that people may have heard of which is her theme park and there's a what? whole... You didn't know this? No. Yes. There's a theme park in eastern Tennessee in Pigeon Forge, right near where she grew up, called Dollywood. There's also a water park, a dinner theater, and a resort and spa. And she opened all of them. Yes, this is something that makes her money. It's not like a nonprofit. But she opened all of them in this really impoverished part of the United States where she grew up, where nobody would ever go, and where there there aren't jobs, and there's no economy. And she basically created an economy from scratch for these people. Which is amazing when you can consider, like, she could have done that in California and made way more money. But she was like, nope, I'm giving back to my folks. This is how we're going to do it. Also, are you familiar with Dolly Parton's Imagination Library? Nope. This is something I did know. So she has a nonprofit. So there's the Dollywood Company, and then there's the Dollywood Foundation. And as part of the foundation, if you reach out to them, they will mail your child one free book a month to every any child across the world from their time of birth until they enter kindergarten. So every wow. single month for, like, what is that, five or six years? She Her foundation will mail your child a book. And in 2018, they had shipped over 100 million books to children Whoa, worldwide. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And which is really, I think, beautiful and touching when you consider that her parents couldn't read. Yeah. That she was like, nope, we're going to get these kids reading. Yep. Uh, she's also done charitable work in HIV AIDS with the American Red Cross. And I thought this was super interesting Preservation efforts to protect the bald eagle, which like just like that whole sentence, like thinking about that tension between like her gay fans and her Christian Mm -hmm. Southern fans. It's like yes, HIV/AIDS, but also let's protect the American mascot. Funny, what an amazing woman. She's also done a ton of other philanthropic work, but those are kind of like the big ones. And I'm gonna end on a couple of quotes from her. The first is, quote, my dream was to make as many people happy as I could in this life. Aww. And then I wanted to end on a slightly funnier quote. When asked how she'd like to be remembered 100 years from now, Dolly Parton said, quote, I want them to say, God, don't she look good for her age?
0: <laughs>
1: and that is my quick 20 minute overview of things you may not have known about Dolly Parton. And she is still alive today and she is more
0: popular than ever. And God bless her. So you might have only planned on covering 20 minutes of Dolly, but I got shit to bring to the table. Great. I love it. (laughs) Okay. I'm very happy that somebody else covered Dolly because I have been wanting to cover a Dolly and I haven't been covering Dolly because I just didn't know how I wanted to approach the story. But I, there are, there is a couple of things about Dolly that have held me back from covering her yes and i wouldn't say that they are bad things in any way shape or form they're things that i didn't know how to address on the podcast um in a way that would like still be uplifting and positive um but also like talk about like real fucking women shit and you know still show her in a positive light and so one I'm happy you covered Dolly because I think you're the exact person I should be having these conversations with um and I'm also curious if you even know what I'm going to bring up but for to start like one of the reasons why I haven't covered Dolly is because she's been quoted and known to like Proclaim that she absolutely does not consider herself a feminist. Yes, I'm aware of this. And that isn't necessarily that statement alone is the problem for me. It's almost more of her explanation of the problem Mm -hmm. that I found troubling. Okay. Because she has stated that to her, a feminist or the feminist idea or ideology or group is like a group of people that hate men. And I think that's a really troubling definition to proclaim, especially coming from a woman with such a large, inspiring platform. Mm -hmm. And so I don't believe that all feminists hate men. I understand that there's probably a lot of them that do. But I think that's like the most troubling thing about feminism and something that continues to hold that feminist ideology further back um when it should continue to become more progressive throughout time it's that idea that feminists hate men and i it makes me cringe and it like it makes my ears bleed and it's like i i hate it and i don't know how to argue against it because i think I, i just don't know how to argue against that or to prove that to not be accurate And I think it's, like, very troubling for lots of feminists that don't hate men to have somebody like Dolly Parton claim that that's what they are. Yeah. So that's been really kind of, like, a large reason why I've not covered her. Um, And then in addition to that, Dolly Parton, to my knowledge, uh, when she started her career, she was in a size body that is much different than the body she's in today. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, To her, I think she's described that as, like, a larger body.
1: Hmm.
0: And today, she's in a very, very, very tiny body. Yes. And I, from things that I've researched when I was planning to cover her, she was very unhappy in her larger body. And that led to a lot of, like, the plastic surgery choices she made in her life. And I think, like, I'm kind of in a place in my life where, like, I've been actually doing a lot of my own research on um, um, just, like, unhealthy, I, I guess, like, diet culture and, like, what that is and what it means to women in society today. And I, I guess I, that's another element of Dolly Parton where I struggle with, where I find it difficult to you know, kind of like praise her in every element of all of her life because I think she's been very vocal and like expressing that she very much disliked herself when she was in a larger body, Mm -hmm. but her larger body was never large. (laughs) It was like a normal body. And then she like very much stands for, you know, being skinny and having these big boobs and having this plastic surgery. And I don't know necessarily that that's like 100% a message that, yeah, it supports you know women of all sizes. Yeah, so those are just two areas that I've like had find challenging with Dolly and has kind of held me back from covering her.
1: Totally. So my thoughts, I'll start with the body stuff.
0: <sighs> I so this is
1: something that I think about a lot is plastic surgery and what a woman's responsibility. A famous woman's responsibility is, if there is one, to not get surgeries done to make them look better and, like, what the line is between that and, like, hair and makeup and altering your appearance in other ways. And I think for me personally, like, my own politics, and not everybody would agree with this, is, like, I am body autonomy first for everything, so if you want to pump your lips up and you want to pump your titties up and you want to, like, slave away at the gym and lose weight, that's your choice to make for your own body. And I shouldn't judge you for that. I also think, and this is going to be slightly problematic because it makes it sound like she doesn't have any power, but, like, in that way, I mean, I kind of think she's a victim. She was in this industry, particularly at that time, where it was like, you better look good, mm-hmm. Um and really, like, this tiny, well, maybe not so tiny, according to her at the time, but, like, this tiny little girl from the country who basically was always up against these boardroom dudes. Mm-hmm. And she had to do what she needed to do to have power in that space, which doesn't necessarily mean that it was, like, healthy or that it sends a strong message, but I have empathy for that, mm-hmm. um, particularly given the generation. Mm-hmm. Um But, yeah, it's complicated. Like, I I get what you're saying, too. Um, But it's real. Like, the struggle is real, you know? Like, even I, you know, like, I try not to think about that stuff. But, like, of course I do. Like, there's a reason I put on makeup before I go to work in the morning, you know? Because, like, if I didn't, you'd be like, what the fuck happened to you? Like, (laughs) are you tired? (laughs) Fuck off. Fuck off. Um." So, yeah, that's my thought on that. Okay. It's complicated is what I say. And at the end of the day, I think it's up to the woman. I think what is more troubling is the way she talks about it. So I think if it was like, it's fine to be big, but, like, I didn't want that. Like, that, I think, would be a little bit more acceptable than, like, fat people, no. You know, it's complicated. Um, The feminist stuff. So that also you know I knew about that, and it obviously came up when I was researching her um so here's like what I was wondering, because obviously Dolly Parton is super intelligent, and I wonder, like do you think she really thinks that, or do you think she says that because she knows a huge portion of her fan base wants her to say it?
0: Well, so to piggyback on her oh shit. <laughs> Um, to piggyback on that statement, because it's she didn't just make a one line statement that right. said feminist hate men. It was a conversation that had I think in an interview. And really, what she described was like I think that what they had said was like, "Are do you consider yourself a feminist?" Like you, you like everybody else considers you a feminist icon among so many different you know variations of people in society. Like where do you stand in that title that kind of people have just given you? And I think she responded by saying something like, I don't consider myself a feminist. Um, and this isn't a quote. It's yeah. just what I'm recalling from what I read. That she had said something about, like, I love men. I have tons of men, like, friends, family members, lovers. I also like feel like i make a lot of decisions in my life that are more in alignment to like decisions men would make Mm. that like basically she relates with men very well Mm -hmm. and that she doesn't want to associate as a feminist because in her understanding and experience feminists are against men and she's not against men yeah so i don't know if it's about You know, just Dolly coming from Tennessee and, you know, rising to fame in a weird time period where, like, you know, a lot of other women feminists were kind of, like, going guns blazing and fighting for women's rights. And maybe at that time it was a little bit more, like, anti-male focused. And so, like, what she was kind of getting was, like, I want to be, you know, somebody that's on the side of men and women and I feel like if I proclaim that I have a title of feminist yeah. that pulls me away from, you know, that support for men and like what you've already described in this entire podcast, she very much plays both sides yeah. as best as she can. Yeah. Um, So maybe it's just in alignment with her just nodding, not wanting to, you know, rub any side a particularly wrong way. Yeah. But I do think it's a little bit hard yeah. to hear those kind of things said from somebody that has such a strong platform and is kind of considered like a female trailblazer
1: yeah a hundred percent i i know i it's complicated like i also it wasn't enough to deter me from covering her because i think she's done so much good for the world that i think she deserves to be recognized for it um regardless of you know that particular statement but I think about this a lot too like I feel like the average person like I know what feminism is because we studied that shit in school like that you know what I mean like if I I think I wish I could say that I was more radical when I was in high school but I totally wasn't I grew up in like an all-male family I also thought the word feminist meant like man-hating until I studied it in college and then I was like oh yeah this is my shit like once I knew what it was but I don't I, I I embrace the term but I don't think that's what it means this is changing a little bit with social media but I don't think that's what it means to the average person particularly of like a certain age range so that's something I think about a lot is like I I identify as a feminist, and I like that term, but I don't think it means the same thing to people, particularly if you're not, you know, like a college-educated person. And sometimes I wonder if, like, feminist is a classist word to use. Like, Mm -hmm. should you expect someone from eastern Tennessee to understand the intricacies of feminist theory? You know, like, I don't – so – do you get what i mean like i don't like those people haven't had the primers and the exposure to stuff that we have had and um i don't think that excuses them like in terrible female hating behavior um but i also think like sometimes we expect too much of people who haven't had the same privileges that we've had Yep, true um I don't know, like, does that apply to her? I don't know. It sounds to me like maybe not only is she, like, playing both sides, which I get, but I also can see how, like, if you spent your whole life basically having to put yourself in front of men and, like, think and act in ways that are maybe masculine or, like, are accepting or that men find acceptable, right, as a Mm -hmm. businesswoman – Like, I can see how you could maybe kind of convince yourself that that's what feminism is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like, she kind of had to, because she had to think like a man so often, like, I think maybe she took on some of that Mm -hmm. masculine belief. I don't know. I kind of want to end on, before we guess her sign, or before you guess her sign, on my first memory of Dolly Parton. Did you ever see the 1990s film uh, Beverly Hillbillies? Yes. Yeah, she's in that film. She's, like, singing at a dinner party. I have no memory of that. And I can't remember the name of the song, but it's basically a song about how money can't buy you love. Anyway. (laughs) Doesn't that that end up becoming a Beatles song later? (laughs) (laughs) So she, I remember, like, just being completely entranced by her, especially as a little girl. Yeah. And just seeing this, like, glittering, larger-than-life woman. And that was, like, my first exposure to her. And I thought she was the most beautiful, delightful thing I'd ever seen. Oh. And that's Dolly motherfucking Parton. Fucking great job. Complicate Like, a little bit complicated, but, like, mostly just a standout, kick-ass, amazing human being.
0: Yep. But also, we want to talk about complicated women on this podcast. One other thing to mention before I guess her sign Dolly and my woman are like BFF neighbors side by side. We could not be more in alignment for this episode. Okay. I can't wait.
1: <laughs> like, I had like one thought as to who yours might be, but I can't wait. Like, it's
0: kind of eerily crazy.
1: Okay. <laughs> all right do you know okay don't lie do you know her sign from when you've looked her I up don't. before i have no okay. idea what her
0: sign is but i have a couple guesses i think you'll guess and i'm it. gonna guess like three in the order that i think they are okay and then like don't say anything until i've given you my three <laughs> gotcha so i think my first guess is libra my second guess is like leo and i think my third guess is cancer
1: no No. No. Fuck!
0: Okay, I do have a fourth. Okay. There was like... Oh, actually, I have two more that I thought they might be. Okay. But those are my first three. Okay. No. Okay. My other two are Aries or Aquarius.
1: No and no. I have no idea. She's a Capricorn, but she's very close to Aquarius. She's January 19th.
0: I so would not think Capricorn.
1: So here's... I I don't think I would have guessed Capricorn, but it was one of those things that once I saw it, I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Just because literally by age ten, she was hustling. She was yeah. like, I'm gonna get out of this town and she's I'm gonna become a star. But she's so but I think Capricorns are that way. Huh. I actually really do. I think they have this and the other thing that made me think this is also very Scorpio though. That she might be Capricorn is like the mystery, like not letting the public see what's really going on and kind of like, here's the, here's the package me that I want you to see. And then you don't get to know anything else unless you are in my inner circle. And I think that is super Capricorn. Yeah. Yeah. So. And she went, I mean, she went for the biggest hits she could get. I feel like my
0: guesses were like solid though. Like, Libra in that she wants to be friends with literally everybody and no one can be on her bad side. Leo, because she's the spotlight with her big hair and tits and lots of eyes on her. Cancer, because she's so goddamn compassionate and fucking loves every goddamn person on Earth and wants to make everyone happy. Yeah. And then I thought Aries, because sometimes Aries do, like, that too, where they want to make everyone happy even if they hate them. And then Aquarius, I just felt like... She kind of had elements of quirkiness and wanting to, like, solve the world. She's, like, out of this world, so – and she's (laughs) trying to save everybody.
1: I would – so now that you say why you chose Libra – that makes sense, but I thought that was weird because I just I don't uh, sorry dude. I say this is a fellow air sign. I don't think Libras have their shit together enough to become such a big superstar.
0: <laughs> You're actually right. Yeah. They just
1: and I think when we did that count of how many signs like we nine. covered, I think Libra was one of the lowest. <laughs> and it was like Barbara Walters or something. It was somebody who was like a television star. I just sorry, like business sense, absolutely not. That is not a Libra thing. That's so
0: true. You're Sorry, right. guys. You're like, right. I didn't think of you in a business element at all. Right. Which is why they have
1: to be so charming because they're like, I'm the baby, you're the daddy. And Dolly <laughs> Parton is both. She's baby yep. and daddy.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. Well, that was fucking great.
1: But I think, I also think it makes sense that she's right on the cusp of Aquarius. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good fit for her
0: so when do you know what her birthday was
1: the night january 19th 1946 okay. she's she just turned 74
0: so when is when's the cut for aquarius like a little couple days I after think or something it's 21 okay. let me look
1: it up sorry that well no it doesn't much. matter i
0: was just thinking i didn't i guess i didn't even realize that aquarius like even came into january january 20th okay so she literally the day before okay yeah cool
1: dolly oh,
0: fuck yeah dolly i can't wait to watch her documentary and hear her podcast
1: well it's not a documentary
0: but yes well her movie her netflix thing's not a documentary
1: no it's like fictional stories
0: oh, it's, oh she's is. in it
1: like i think she's in everyone as like some character she's a bartender oh, in one of them oh yeah weird i did yeah. not know that
0: yeah okay i only learned about it through that radio show and i just assumed it was a documentary
1: i'm super looking forward to the podcast though it's supposed to be great
0: fuck yeah Sorry. all right are we ready We're okay ready. well first of all i need to start off with i'm a little bit buzzed great so these 9.6 triple ipas are hitting. did you <laughs> are you on number one this is only number two nice and i've only taken like five sips out of it hell yeah so i hope that this leads into a positive. Uh, biography experience but you just never know sometimes so i'm gonna do my best but we are very excited because you and i have a themed episode tonight unplanned where we are both covering musicians that both came from religious evangelical backgrounds is that the word uh for Badali it is Okay, well so's for mine. Okay. I just didn't know how you it was like ev- Evangelicus, like I don't <laughs> fucking know how you talk about evangelina, Evangina. That yeah, something like that. Um, same era, except also from the South. Okay. Um, but mine came a little bit before Dolly. Okay. And my woman is somebody that quite virtually nobody knows because she was lost in history. However, she was a popular 1930s and 40s gospel rock and roll star who pushed spiritual sorry <laughs> who pushed spiritual music into the mainstream by performing with her electric guitar in nightclubs and concert halls. So, she has been known as the godmother of rock and roll. And she is literally the inventor and the influence that created Johnny Cash and, like, all of Elvis Presley, like, all of these mainstream people that we consider as the inventors of rock and roll. Right. She came before them and inspired them. So I can only imagine that Dolly Parton also listened to this woman and was inspired by her that led throughout her own musical career i love it so the woman that i am covering today who i'm sadly sadly understanding that probably nobody knows goes by the name of sister rosetta tharp i don't know her and i'm so excited I know it, it like it pains me that we don't know her. And that in itself is a large portion of this conversation we might have at the end of this presentation because it makes no fucking sense. And that is a big problem. So can I just say something?
1: What? Based on our text exchange that we had earlier today, I half thought you're covering Whitney Houston. <laughs> Did you really? Yes. And I was going to die if we covered the women who sang that song. The same
0: song. Oh, but I'm so even funny. more
1: excited about this.
0: No, this is great because she's new, um, but she she was a trailblazer that made people like Dolly even happen or even feel like they could happen. So that's very exciting. So, about Sister Rosetta Tharp. She was born in 1915 in Cotton Plant, Arkansas. To parents that were cotton pickers. There's very little information about her father that I could find other than the fact that he was a singer, and her mother was also a singer. She was a mandolin player, she was an evangelist, and a preacher for the Church of God in Christ. So, the Church of God in Christ is like a religious organization that was founded by a black Pentecostal bishop named Charles Harrison Mason. And he encouraged rhythmic musical expression, dancing and praise, and he allowed women to sing and teach in the church, which is what Sister Rosetta's mother did in that church. So she began singing and playing guitar at the age of four years old, guitar at the age of four years old and she was considered a musical prodigy in 1921 at the age of six her and her mother uh began traveling in an evangelical how do you even say that
1: evangelical
0: evangelical yeah it's hard okay
1: (laughs) it's not just the beer it's
0: a hard word So her and her mother began traveling in an evangelical band, and um, their performances were mainly, like, one part, like, religious sermon and one part gospel concert. And then in 1935, at the age of 19, she married the preacher of the Church of God in Christ, and his name was Thomas Thorpe. However, their marriage only lasted a couple of years. Which I imagine was also not very normal in that time period. So
1: they divorced. Not like they he divorced. Died. What? what? No. And she he married... was a preacher.
0: Yes. Dang. So they got married at nineteen. Then they got married or divorced a couple of years later, and in 1938 she left him and she moved with her mother to New York, and in New York is when she started playing with some of the biggest bands in the country, which included the duke ellington band who let me remind you is the band that josephine baker performed with (gasps) many times in her dancing career crazy i love when our women like cross paths me too so sister rosetta's style was a mix of delta blues new orleans jazz and gospel music Her distinct voice, unconventional style, and the fact that she was a female guitarist during a time when that virtually did not exist made her instantly popular among music listeners. That same year, she recorded for the first time under Decca Records and was backed by the Lucky Millinder Jazz Orchestra. The first gospel songs that they recorded were instant hits, and established her as an overnight sensation and one of the first commercially successful gospel recording artists ever. So she signed a seven-year contract with that jazz orchestra band, and then she ended up joining the Cotton Club Review, which was a New York City club that became especially notable during the Prohibition era. She was only 23 years old when all of this was happening. <laughs> yeah. And at this time, she scored her very first single, which was called Rock Me, and that single alone is what went on to influence many rock and roll singers, which I've already mentioned, including Elvis Presley, Little Richard, and Jerry Lee Lewis. So Sister Rosetta's records shocked many Christian goers. Who had no clue how to process the mixture of gospel based lyrics and secular sounding music? Her lyrics and style flirted with openness of love and sexuality, which left her gospel audience speechless. She was performing gospel music for nightclub audiences alongside blues and jazz musicians and dancers, which was highly unusual and frowned upon by the conservative religious circles. Because <laughs> you can't fucking be in nightclubs talking about God.
1: Can't have fun.
0: No, hell no. Um, so naturally, she started to fall out of the gospel community Because they were completely mortified that she would be singing gospel songs while showgirls were dancing alongside in the club. And keep in mind, this is like the 1940s. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And I bet you one of those showgirls was Josephine Baker.
1: (laughs) God, I hope so. I
0: love that. I know, right? So, also during this time, masculinity was largely linked to guitar skills. Mm -hmm. So, many people that were witnessing her playing guitar were uh, not only amazed, but they'd go up to compliment her, and they would say, like, yo, you're so good, you play like a man. And she'd be like, literally verbatim quote, can't no man play like me. I play better than a man. (laughs) which like first of all there weren't any guys playing like that in that time period they came after her so let's start there um but like i already said like keep in mind like she was a young black woman working in a heavily male-dominated industry in the 1940s playing electric guitar to gospel music like she did not give a fuck yes at all She was just out there fucking slaying the music world while preaching God, (laughs) which is like a whole nother level. So she was performing with Duke Ellington, the Dixie Hummingbirds, and even teamed up with an all white male group that was called the Jordanaires. And she began performing for a lot of mixed race audiences. Despite her fame, which at this time she was booming, It was still 1940s, and institutional racism was on the fucking rampant fly. Like, that was not not happening. So, oh, I don't even know if I mentioned that. She's African-American. I did. I think I mentioned it. I think you did. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. So while she was on tour, like, at this time, restaurants and hotels were still segregated. So she would have to sleep on her tour buses and she would have to go around the back of the restaurants to pick up food because they would not let her in to eat. Mm. And this is a famous female musician that was still not allowed to sleep in the hotels or eat in the restaurants with the rest of her band and, like, fans. Insane. So regardless of this, her spirit never broke, and she continued to gain even more celebrity status And she even became a legend among black soldiers fighting in World War II. She was so popular that she was one of only two black gospel acts that recorded what they called V-discs, which are basically records. Um, And those were like flown overseas to the American soldiers while they're in war. So after the war... She began working with Sammy Price, who was a jazz and blues pianist, and they produced a famous spiritual single called Strange Things Happen Every Day, and that was recorded in 1944. This song specifically references what was happening in the mid-1940s, which included World War II ending, the atomic bomb dropping in Hiroshima, and Jackie Robinson being signed to the major leagues, who was like the first American, African-American baseball player. And this song helped express, like, all of the uneasiness that was happening in the world at that time, and it became one of her most well-known records, as well as the first gospel song to cross over into the R&B top 10 charts. So, like, this was that moment where she was, like, a gospel singer and, like, was able to kind of, like, enter into that pop gospel R&B world. So even though she was super famous, everyone was loving her music, she was playing at venues like the Carnegie Hall and the Cotton Club. She still kind of like longed to get back into that gospel music circuit. Um, because in at this time, like she was much more in the rock and roll blues like blues music. So she kind of wanted to go back to her roots. And in nineteen forty-six, she was out. And she had seen a woman named Marie Knight performing. And she was a gospel and R&B singer. And as she was watching her, she was recognizing that she was, like, extremely talented. She was blown away by this woman. So two weeks later, she showed up at Marie's front door and invited her to go on tour. And so (laughs) the two of them toured together, like, doing gospel circuit music for a number of years And eventually, gossip spread amongst the church freaks that they were bumping uglies and that shit was getting real, real quick. Was it true? Which, in fact, ended up to be true.
1: Yes! I was hoping it was true.
0: (laughs) So it turns out (laughs) that Sister Rosetta and Marie Knight were, in fact, two black queer musicians that were famous and kicking ass in the 1940s together. Uh, I love it. So by the time that Sister Rosetta was 30 years old, she'd already survived two marriages with men and various relationships with both men and women, which was something that she was very open about within the music industry, but she still kept it very secret from the general pub- public. So, while they were on tour together, they had one, like, major hit song called Up Above My Head. And they, at this time, were basically two queer women that were in a relationship on tour together, and it was considered absolutely radical, like, among the entire world.
1: Were they open about it, or was it just speculation, but it just happened
0: to be true? Um, so, like, they weren't on stage, like, kissing and holding hands and hugging, Um, I think they were still performing professionally as just two people that are musicians on tour together, Mm -hmm. but, like, while on tour within their own band. Because they both had their own bands behind them Mm -hmm. while they were performing. So, like, everybody, they were open and out with their close circles. Um, But I don't think that they were, like, you know, going down the streets and, like, making huge statements and hitting the newspaper as, like, two lesbians. For sure. I think they were just... On tour together and enjoying their time together, without yeah. like, like you know, not like in they were not in the closet in any way, like shape or form,
1: right? It was they weren't advertising it, but they weren't hiding yeah. it.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, a few years later, in 1949, their popularity took a sudden downturn as Marie Knight wanted to start breaking off into her own solo acts, and so the band ended up breaking up, as did their relationship. Oh. No sooner than one year later, Sister Rosetta was on track to marry her third husband, Russell Morrison, which was her band manager. The wedding took place in a baseball stadium in Washington, D.C., where over 25,000 paid guests were in attendance to watch the wedding, which also then, like, moved into an actual concert that they then got to experience, And that entire thing was recorded and later released on an album. Wait,
1: you said paid guests. So did the guests pay to go or did they get paid to go? They paid to go. So it was like, hi, guys, I'm
0: having a concert and getting married.
1: Here's a ticket. Buy a ticket off me. Yes. So the wedding pays for itself. Hell yes.
0: 25,000 people went. Wow. And nobody today knows who this woman is. 25,000 people in 1940 to the 50s paid to go to her wedding. (laughs) I don't know a single person today who knows who Sister Rosetta is. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) So shortly after that, Sister Rosetta's career uh, started to dwindle down, partly because there was like a rise of folk music happening at this time, as well as the British invasion of the 1960s and 70s. So, this was right around the time that, like, young white men started to take over rock and roll, and they were experimenting with the types of sounds that Sister Rosetta had, like, pretty much already invented on her own, but she would also sort of, like, somewhat walked away from that because she wanted to get back to her, like, purely gospel roots. So, it kind of, she kind of got, like, pushed out of that rock and roll scene and put into this, like, small gospel category and then everybody that had been listening to her music and like kind of took on those elements of music she'd kind of created mm-hmm. and then blew up the rock and roll world. And Rosetta was just still kind of in her gospel corner at the bottom. So she unfortunately paved that way for herself, probably like not really realizing how that would pan out. And so in an attempt to keep her music alive, she went across these to Europe and took a stab at the fucking Europe world, which I feel like so many of our women have done. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like once they like, once America's done, it's like straight to Europe and then like, all right, well, here's part two. Well,
1: so, sorry to be that you know person, on? but also like Josephine, a lot of those people were women of color. They were. And I think it's a testament to, I think people are racist everywhere, but how strong that is in America.
0: Yep. That yeah. is, you're right. That was Josephine Baker who also mm-hmm. did that. Mm-hmm. Weird. It was probably the same fucking time they were doing that too. Do you think they banged it out? Maybe. I'm going to Because Josephine Google Baker in. was
1: like openly bisexual, oh, yeah. right? yeah. She was banging it out with everyone. Oh, uh, yes. Fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they for sure met. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? Good chance. Good chance. Yeah, a really good chance. Um. So she went to Europe. And once she was there... She ended up having one of the most iconic performances ever in 1964 that took place at a train station in South Manchester. This is on YouTube. You can watch it. It's in black and white, and it is literally the best thing you will ever see, and you may or may not cry. (laughs) So what you'll see in this video is a horse-drawn carriage approaches a train station so you know like think of even like our muni stations or our bart stations actually bart station is a better example you know when you go to the bart station you're on your side of the train tracks there's like that whole gap in the middle that the trains are crossing through and then there's the other side where the other people stand because they're going to get on to go the other direction they're literally in this setting. So. She's on one side of the train tracks, literally rolling through somehow in a horse-drawn carriage. (laughs) She gets off with some man. I don't even know who it is. And they're, like, arm in arm, and they get off this horse-drawn carriage, and they just start trotting down the train station together. And you start to hear people, like, hooting and hollering and woo-hoo-hoo. And across the train tracks on the other side is the entire audience. So she's strutting along the train station on her side and they're arm in arm doing a little dance until they meet up with the band. So there's a whole, like, drum set and, like, band members waiting a little bit further down the train. So they meet up with it. She puts on her electric guitar and she just, like, immediately starts jamming out rhythm and blues. And everybody on the other side of the train tracks are fucking screaming and hooting and hollering and they can't get enough of it. And so she starts her performance with, like, her one of her greatest hit songs which was called Didn't It Rain. And it was literally starting to rain at that moment <sighs> during <sighs> this performance. Oh my god. And I get I I haven't read the lyrics to the song, but when I read this entire scenario in my research, the song is like a kind I think a little bit about like heartbreak and struggle. And like the one thing that people noted is that when she was doing this performance, there was like an obvious expression of her literally just like feeling the song that she was singing. Mm -hmm. And it was just so real and so ridiculous. And this lady is not young at this time. I would say, I don't know what her exact age was, but just watching the video, I'd say she is at least in her forties. Okay. And she's much larger at this time. And she is just fucking shredding the electric guitars yes. and people are freaking out
1: <laughs> wait so what should we search on youtube if we want to see this
0: you all you need to search is uh sister Rosetta. i'm sorry sister rosetta <laughs> tharp and the song didn't it rain and it okay. will pull up immediately okay and you will be uh, the happiest person on earth okay So it was fucking epic. It was by far one of, like, the greatest performances she's ever done. And when I was watching this, I, like, the only thing I could think of was, like, this would never happen today. Like, she was so famous at this time period. And to think that she could perform something like that in the middle of a train station, come out on a horse-drawn carriage, like, it, it was black and white. It was drizzling. Like, it's such a historical moment. Like, and you're going to see that yourself when you're watching it. It's just like you're looking at it and you're like, this literally is history. It's yeah. <laughs> this is li- history of music right here. Yes. And it's just like pure soul, blues, jazz. And there's a ton of uh, white people in the crowd. And this is just like a black, queer, southern woman who's literally a musical prodigy that's been slaying guitars. And she was four years old. Yeah. And she's just out here. Making fucking waves, yeah, and again, nobody knows who she is right now, yeah you know what this
1: this whole story makes me think of the Prince Purple rain Super Bowl halftime show yep. Yeah, this is like the precursor to that,
0: dude. You, I would wonder if fucking Prince knows of Sister Rosetta.
1: Oh, a hundred, uh, guaranteed. That was a, I. I would bet money that was an yeah for him. Yeah,
0: because that almost seems in alignment with like the same. Yep. So crazy. So it ended up being like the most epic shit of her life, and. um She continued on in Europe and continued to tour as long as she possibly could and practically did until the day that she died, which happened three years after that performance. She was young. She died on October 9th, 1973, after suffering her second stroke. Mm. So she... Like, a lot of people somehow her story got lost in history but she does have a biography that was written after her and she's had a couple npr segments written about her okay and she has a couple scholarly articles and then it wasn't until the year of 2007 that she was finally inducted into the blues hall of fame so she was recognized there but all in all She has, like, 1 million percent been historically overlooked in the rock and roll history. And it wasn't until, like, very recent years, maybe the last decade, that she has been, like, rightfully celebrated as a woman who broke so many motherfucking norms. Like, not only as a black queer gospel singer, but somebody that preached gospel in a mainstream rock and roll environment and kind of like you know teetered on this break of like i believe in jesus christ and spirit and like church but i also believe in dancing and showgirls and like expressing that type of spiritualism in a more upbeat environment Mm -hmm. and so she kind of like created that invention of like you know what is gospel music and like where can we take it and like what other people can we get involved with you know it wasn't just this like conservative all you can be is a christian to enjoy this music she opened that window for a lot of different people to start loving it and she was fucking ripping on the electric guitar while preaching christ which yeah. literally wasn't a thing and so it's so cool because when you look up videos of her online and there's many of them she will literally be on a stage Standing there in front of a microphone with her electric guitar, and there will be like sixty choir guys behind her. Hell yeah, <laughs> like just singing, and they're up on their little like you know steps and whatever, and she's like t- five feet in front of them, center stage shredding, and it is unfucking real. It's literally unreal. Dude, I can't I've never wait. seen anything like that in my life. I didn't even know that's ever happened. And I've never seen anything like it today in our music world. Why don't you think we know about her? Or why so, do you think we don't know about her? So what I've read, because a lot of people have been talking about her, to be like, why, why was she lost? How did that happen? Like, how, how do we have people like Elvis Presley, who is the king of rock and roll, um, you know, all these other white men that I'm not discrediting their musical talents. They're fucking incredible, but there's literally documented quotes from Elvis, um, from who was that other guy that I was talking about earlier? I don't even, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, little Richie. Like there were literally quotes from these men that were like my number one influence in my life was sister Rosetta. Wow. Like one of I think it was Little Richard that had said my entire career was basically copying Sister Rosetta. Hmm. Like they they've credited her in their careers saying like she's the reason why I am who I am today and why I brought the music that I brought today. Wow. So it's like they haven't you know not acknowledged that she was the largest influence in for them but somehow we still don't know who the fuck she is. Yeah. And when I was, like, reading about her and, like, reading these articles about her on, like, why or how that could possibly be, it, it. I mean, I hate to fucking wave the flag and say, uh, do I really need to? It's like, I don't know. She was black, a woman, and queer. Like, yeah. I don't, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know what else it could possibly have been other than those three things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like let's pretend those three things didn't exist. What could it have been? Right. Like, I don't know. There's nothing else I can think of. Yeah. And so like, sadly, that's one of the main thing. I mean, that's the thing that people are, are associating to why she was like lost in this history of rock and roll, but it's just so troubling. Cause it's like, it literally wouldn't be what it is without her. She paved the fucking way. She made it happen. She is rock and roll. Like, she is rock and roll. She's credited as the grandmother of rock and roll. And in the most punk rock way possible. Yeah. She she literally brought rock and roll out of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, Christ. Like, Christianity. like Like, you know, like, Pentecostal like organizations which are supposed to be conservative and you know a little bit more like you gotta like like i said like the christian goers were fucking pissed they were like what is this shit this is crazy you shouldn't be preaching god in like a stadium in a concert hall there shouldn't be dancers dancing and she was like why not Mm -hmm. we're all we're all here praising god everyone's feeling the music the rhythm the blues we're all like you know living the, the the vibe like what do you mean what's the problem And, like, that in itself is the most rock and roll thing ever. Hell, yeah. I fucking love it. I think that is incredible. I mean, just her mental perspective alone was so radical during that time period to even be thinking those things. Yeah. Uh, Nuts. And then to be, like, an openly, like, bisexual, queer, I don't know how exactly she (sighs) identified, but to Mm be you know living that lifestyle unapologetically as well with other badass fucking female musicians out there who are doing the same fucking shit it's nuts i love her i know and you're going to love her even more when you go on fucking youtube yeah. and you watch a video of her because okay. it is phenomenal i'm going to lose my shit i mean I you're going to drop dead like i like i had done my whole research and then i was like oh shit i should probably look at some videos to like see if i can see her and learn more. And the minute I saw her I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) Like like this shit just doesn't exist anymore.
1: Yeah. And I think
0: that's kind of sad. Like there's like a sad element of that where when you look at these videos of her performing, I mean, we don't have that in our culture today. Yeah. It doesn't exist in music today. Yeah. There's like there's such a soul element of it. Yes. That is so strong and powerful. But it's also radical and progressive. Yes. We're like, I'd say we have a lot of radical and progressive musicians today that are making statements and like paving new waves, but I don't always feel the soul of it. Like yeah. we lose the genuine, we lose the real. And like she is fucking real. Like she wasn't a model. She was she wasn't Josephine Baker by any means. She wasn't wearing the showgirl outfit and rocking on stage. She was like Your fucking mom preacher friend down the road that like somehow slayed an electric guitar and was fucking so good that it didn't matter what the fuck she looked like. I love it. (laughs) She was killing the game. I am brain farting so hard,
1: but she reminds me of the French opera singer sword fighter
0: uh julia
1: dot da, da- big i or could whatever. never da- last name. julie dobbany julia yeah i've been thinking about her this entire time
0: yeah i because she was a, a fucking sword fighter but was she not in choir or something or she was an opera singer opera singer
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> choir <laughs> and she was fucking everybody right <laughs> and living yeah. her life well
0: yeah and that's another thing like for her, for Rosetta to have been married 3 times yeah. and had many like female lovers that was not happening in that time period. I mean at least it wasn't it wasn't public knowledge. I mean she got divorced to a preacher at like 22 years old. A little bit. I mean that's nuts. Yeah. So, it's kind of a bummer cuz it's like you know, you would you just wonder how people like this This great could just be lost in the system. Where did you find out about her? How do you know her? I only found out about her because I did a Google search. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Black History Month right now. Yes. And so I did a Google search of, like, influential women in Black history. I love it. And she popped up in that list.
1: I can't wait to check out her video. Like, specifically the one in the rain
0: yeah Uh, I know I I, I love her I want to put it on the gram and figure out how to like get a video like that from YouTube onto Instagram Um, but I couldn't believe like when you were going through Dolly's life I'm like oh my god like Dolly's in Tennessee Rosetta's in Arkansas they're both like doing Evangelical church like they have these like fucking Christian like religious families Mm -hmm. they're in small towns they grew up playing music at a really young age like, I have no doubt that I Bet You Dolly knew
1: about her and Absolutely. heard her music. When was she? She was born in the 20s? She was born in 1915.
0: 1915. Okay. And at what, Dolly was in the 30s or something? The mid, 46. So okay. yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. So she was born right as Rosetta was like at her peak.
1: Yeah, for sure. She knows her. Yeah.
0: Uh, I love her.
1: Isn't that crazy? I have three sign guesses. Okay. Do you have any comments before I take a stab?
0: Um, I don't think that I would have. I, so when I learned her sign, I thought, this isn't surprising. I don't okay. think I would have guessed it. I think I would have, based off of the story, I think I would have had other guesses.
1: Okay. So I'm going to do the same thing you did, which is give you the three and then you just tell me. Okay. My absolute first guess is Sagittarius. And then my tie for second place is Aquarius and Gemini. No on all three. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) My next guess is kind of like out there and is probably wrong, but I'm going to say Cancer. No. Okay. What is she?
0: She's a Pisces. That makes sense. Like, I mean, I get the artsy, you know, Yeah, and also,
1: what I was thinking was her, like, how she kind of seems to hop from things. Like, she has her passion, but she's always changing things. Yeah. Which is, I think that's pretty Piscean.
0: And I think, like, also just being, like, colorful and Mm open-minded and, like, you know... Not always following the exact, like, concrete plan that has like you're being told to follow, yeah. I think it's kind of makes sense that a Pisces would kind of you know be known to do their own thing here and there, yeah. Um, I wouldn't have guessed Pisces, I would probably have also guessed Sagittarius. Um, I don't know who else, but I feel like
1: Aquarius too, just because it's a whole new world, it's a whole. Um, so, yeah, I love her. her. I am so glad you taught me about her. She's so cool. And also, side note, I don't think many Pisces have been covered on this podcast. I didn't
0: think so either. Yeah. Once yeah. she came up Pisces, I thought, oh, my God, I feel like we haven't had a Pisces in forever.
1: Yeah, Pisces and Libra, the least, as I recall.
0: Yeah. So. So I'm going to send you the link to her video after Practice. this but i mean the only other thing to like mention about her is even in these videos she is standing on stage with so much fucking confidence and it's just like you know she's not only like just shredding the guitar because she can but like she's having fucking fun yeah like i feel like she doesn't even give off that vibe like oh i'm good and i know it it's like i'm just out here because this is fun ass fucking shit and like I would, like, not want to be doing anything else in my life other than fucking partying on stage with you guys right now. Like, she's just cool as shit. Hell yeah. I know. I love her. And she never had kids. No. Word. She got married a fuck ton of (laughs) times. Hooked up a lot. No kids. Nice. Crazy, huh? I love it. Aren't they kind of, like, a lot alike? I love, yeah.
1: And I love the idea that one of them inspired the other. I know. I love that. I also love that. So with Dolly Parton, we had overlap with Jane Fonda, Mm -hmm. like direct overlap. And then obviously there was overlap here with Josephine Baker.
0: I know. I love that. And how similar were Josephine Baker and her? Yeah. Like, that's also very strange. Like, they were both, you know, like, whether they were bisexual, I don't know exactly how they identify, but they were black bisexual artists, to speak. (laughs) that had a shit ton of fame and then they didn't yeah it's crazy Mm -hmm. oh i gotta do some google searches and see if we like if there's any like documentation of them being together hell yeah let me know i know let the kids know i mean but (laughs) if she was performing with duke ellington band josephine baker was on that stage dancing
1: yeah I mean, at minimum, at minimum, they cross paths in the green room. Like, they had to have, at minimum, they had to have known each other. Yep.
0: I love Pretty
1: that idea. Cool. 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 Yeah, I love it. I like the overlap. I love a nice, chilling episode. That was I know. I rad. love when
0: they accidentally get themed when they're Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. I don't know. How do you, do you have a wrap-up?
0: No, I don't have a wrap-up. I, like... I like completely forgot that women of a week was a thing, and I feel like I haven't done it in like five episodes.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I'm. I mean, you only meet so many women in a week, you know. You really do. <laughs> you know, the woman of the week is Yoko Ono. Oh shit! There we go. Bam! Because I it's did. about to be her birthday, and when she was it? the OG sis of the sisterhood.
0: She was her the very first is... woman we covered. What? february 18th mm-hmm. the queen of the aquariuses
1: uh literal the who queen, is more aquarius than yoko ono
0: the queen of pissing society off mm-hmm. for no reason other than being quirky and weird
1: i have thought multiple times on this memory that makes me warm and fuzzy inside which was when we were at podcon and that dude tried to come to our table and talk shit about Yoko Ono. And then you and I and another girl who was standing at our table, like, chased him off. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't. What did he, he say? Because he, we had the Yoko Ono mask, yeah. which was just hilarious. And he was like, I wrote a story once about how the world would be so different if Yoko oh Ono God. had never, like, met the Beatles and blah. And we were like, yes. boo. Like, we just basically booed him away from our table. We're like, get the fuck out of here. Like, are you still spewing that shit about how she broke up the Beatles? Get out. <laughs> But yeah, we, I mean, like, he got the hint very quickly and just scuttled away, and I think about that often.
0: And there it's was like, a random girl there that also scuttled him off.
1: Oh, yeah. And I don't even think we had interacted with her yet, but she immediately hopped in. It was like, no. It was awesome. We're like, get the fuck out of here.
0: Oh, my God. That is hilarious. I don't remember that.
1: I don't blame you for not remembering that, because that entire weekend was just like a drunk fever dream. Oh, my God. Anyway. And then it that was, was the last one they ever did. Like, we broke PodCon. Yeah,
0: it never came back, huh? We broke
1: PodCon. We broke
0: PodCon. Sorry, Well, y'all. shit happens, you know? We, we came big. People <laughs> didn't know what the fuck was happening, and that was the best part. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we have a fucking eight-foot-tall champagne bottle. What do
1: you got to say about it? Dude, that was only, like, a year ago, but why does it feel like it was three years it ago? It feels like it
0: was a lifetime ago.
1: Is this just what happens when you
0: get old? I have no idea. Or it's just more stuff
1: happening? I don't know. I think know. you have like
0: so many trillions of things happening that it's just like an overload and you can't document the memories properly anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's fucked up. Well, uh, the end. The end. I'm about to skadoodle out of here and oh, go yeah. dance some Grateful Dead music at a concert. Hell yeah, of course you are. It's Walter Bradley's birthday two days ago. Happy birthday. Tell him we say happy birthday. I know. I said happy birthday to him a couple days ago. And then I was like, hey, there's a show Saturday night. Want to go party for a late birthday celeb? He's like, you better fucking believe it. Hell yeah. So.
1: Bless you, Bradley. Yep. He's probably going to have his squid hat on. It's going to be the whole thing. Speaking of (laughs) Aquarians.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Yoko Ono, um, I'm going to go celebrate our other Aquarian friend. Hell yes. Tonight. All right. Well, it was fun to be back. Bye, guys. Thanks for coming back. Come back anytime.
1: Yeah. Next time, come back with a shaved head. Like full Britney 2007? (laughs) Don't put
0: it past me. You're like, the bob wasn't enough. (laughs) I had to go further. All right. Well, see you later. Bye. Bye.